This is a Federal News Network podcast. Few benefits for federal employment match the quality and reliability of the Thrift Savings Plan. Make those contributions over a career and you'll have a heck of a nest egg. Now the people behind the TSP, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, have a strategic plan for now through 2026. And here with the highlights, the board's chief operating officer, Suzanne Tosini. Ms. Tosini, good to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here, especially during Public Service Recognition Week. I'm happy to come and talk about the TSP. All right. So you have several participant outcomes planned for this new strategic plan. Give us the background on the plan formation and what you hope to achieve overall. We started formulating this plan about 18 months ago. It's really important to think about a number of things as we're putting together the plan. So we spent some time looking at our current state, where we are, where the FRT ideas and the TSP, where we want to be. We looked at industry trends and had some experts come in and talk about the future of the industry. And we also wanted to make sure that we use our entire staff. Our staff has a lot of expertise in different areas of the plan. So we did a lot of surveying of our own staff as well, so both internal and external, to put together the plan. And the plan really defines our vision for the future, our beliefs on how we operate and our organizational culture. And it informs our participants and our stakeholders about where we're going to concentrate our efforts and direct our resources over the next five years. As you mentioned, this is a new plan. This is the third we've put together, and this will be leading us through 2026. All right. And looking at the participant outcomes, which I think our listeners are concerned with mainly, objective A1, enable improved participant decision-making by providing customized information. That sounds like you're getting more fine-grained in the portal and the access to an individual TSP? Yes, we are. As you see from our plan, our primary goal is to improve participant retirement outcomes. We really want to make sure that what we are presenting and what we are providing to our participants gives them the best shot at retiring with dignity and having a good, solid retirement. So we look at a number of different pieces along that. One is to improve decision-making for our participants. So where are they in their life cycle? What's their risk tolerance? We will be adding other features in the future to help even fine-tune that. In the past, very recently, we've also been trying to make sure that we are targeting people to take specific actions that will improve their outcomes. For instance, last year, we introduced a new program to help people with catch-up contributions. We were seeing that some people were giving catch-up contributions, those over 55, but they were not doing their full match. So we had very targeted communications to them to make sure that they got their full match before they did their catch-up contributions, because otherwise you're sort of leaving money on the table. We're going to be continuing doing that through the next few years. All right. And one other one I wanted to ask you about is to your outreach to increase the percentage of participants that are taking targeted action. What does that mean? It's a similar type of outreach. We have some participants who are not giving the full match. So we are targeting them with helping them understand why and and the benefits to doing that. Remember, if you put in 5%, you're going to get your full agency match. And putting in anything less than that, you're leaving your agency's contributions out of your retirement. So we want to make sure that people are using the TSP to its fullest. Yeah, I get the impression that it is your impression that there is much more available to the average federal employee than that average federal employee actually takes advantage of. 
believe that is true. I think we have a group of very involved and knowledgeable participants who get on the website frequently, who do our trainings. And then we have some who don't log in at all. And there is a value to not trading in and out. But we do want people to be aware of their portfolios, making sure that it's diversified and that they are contributing their maximums. So we look to the next strategic plan to do more outreach to people to get them more educated, making sure they're making really good decisions. We have a wealth of information on the website, different webinars. That is one thing that COVID has done is we have even more online and really easily accessible to anybody. And we want to make sure that people and our participants are well aware of that and they're taking advantage of all the stuff that we have to offer. We're speaking with Susan Tosini. She's Chief Operating Officer of the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. And it looks like there's going to be some new actual investment options also. I'm looking at the idea of launching a mutual fund window. Correct. As you may see, we are actually doing some enhancements that are going to go live. We call it Converge inside baseball, but we call it Converge. That's going to go live right at the beginning of June. And one of the enhancements that we will be introducing is a mutual fund window. And with this program, participants, there are some requirements, but in general, participants can take up to 25% of their TSP funds and invest it through a mutual fund window. And the idea here is, of course, we at the TSP think we have the best funds ever. We think we have low-cost funds. We think our life cycle funds are appropriate for the vast majority of our participants. But there are some people who want very, very specific investments, whatever that may be, and we want to give them the opportunity to be able to invest that way. So through the mutual fund window, our participants will have access to thousands of funds and will be able to choose the ones that fit into their portfolio or their desires in terms of investments. But no Bitcoin window in the offing yet, right? (laughs) We don't have a Bitcoin window. I can't say for sure whether there's a Bitcoin fund. Our goal with the mutual fund window is to make sure that our participants have the maximum flexibility in terms of choosing their funds and that the funds that are on the platform are the lowest share cost funds in each family. So, for instance, sometimes there are five different share classes for a specific fund, and we require that the fund on the mutual fund window for our participants is the lowest cost one. That has always been a focus of the TSP, make sure we have low cost. Because every dollar that a participant saves in fees is another dollar that is compounding and earning returns for their retirement. And I also wanted to ask you about the idea of using new methods and means to make sure you understand what it is that participants want, enhancements they might want. How will you be going about that? So we do a lot of outreach and a lot of surveying. In fact, we have a survey out right now to find out what people would like to see. And if you're listening and you got that survey, please do respond and send it back to us. For instance, when we had done that survey, what we had heard over and over again is that retirees want more options for withdrawals. Uh, Our legislation prevented us from being flexible on employee and, and retiree withdrawals. And we were able to get Congress to give us a law that would let us change that. And so that was a big win for us. So we go out and we survey, we do focus groups. You'll also see on the website that there are lots of places where people can give feedback and either about the website itself or about other things. And we we look at those every day, every week. We analyze to see what our participants are looking for. 
And just briefly, what discretion does the board have versus what you have to go to Congress to get permission to do? For example, there was a brouhaha over Chinese or Russian investment funds. How wide is your discretion? So the legislation that established the TSP was very specific in terms of trying to keep political influence out of the decisions. Our legislation says that we are to offer specific funds that are tied to well-established indexes. So it's very, very specific. And in fact, when we wanted to introduce different funds, like an international fund, we had to go to Congress to ask for permission to even offer an international fund. So we are very, very specific on the funds. We have flexibility more on the how we do things, such as introducing a mutual fund window or having a a really good website, those types of operational things we have lots of flexibility on. And have you noticed just topically a increase in the tempo of activity just because the stock market has been so volatile lately? We always have some participants trading in and out, given how the market is moving. But the vast majority of our participants find their funds that they are comfortable with and hold, which we think is the right strategy in general. I guess TSP day trading might be the most specialized activity there is, huh? (laughs) Yeah, we don't see a lot of that, thank goodness. And we do have restrictions on the number of times you can do that per month just because of that. Suzanne Tosini is Chief Operating Officer of the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to that strategic plan at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity, and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses, and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person personally was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, She was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, We were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy while although we were the little guy. Uh, And then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, As part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, So that was probably the the first leader. And then I would say the second leader 
that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect 
as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.